Welcome back to Ew, That's Creepy podcast. In this episode, Melissa tells Jackie about a park ranger who disappeared while on patrol. Paul Fugate disappeared in 1981 and has never been seen or heard of since then. Did Paul get caught up in a drug deal gone bad, or did he simply disappear on purpose to avoid issues in his personal life? Please be aware that this episode will discuss violence and kidnapping. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, well, I just hit record, and Jackie and I were about to say, welcome to Ooh, That's Creepy Podcast, but the second I hit record, for some reason, the lights flickered where we are. Dun, dun, dun. Is that a sign? I don't know. Okay, but anyway, (laughs) welcome to Ooh, That's Creepy Podcast. So I'm going to be telling Jackie today about a person who disappeared while they were hiking, And this case is actually going to be a little bit different because the person was a park ranger who disappeared while they were on duty. What? How does that happen? Let's just get right into it because this case is pretty, I would say pretty famous for that fact because I believe um, that the person's name is Paul Fugate and they are the only park ranger who has ever went missing while they were on duty or like, I've been unaccounted for, or I think possibly been killed. Oh, I feel like something bad happened already. Yeah, it's, well, it's one of those things. It's like, it could have went so many different ways. So let's just get right into it. Um, so this case is about Paul Fugate. He was born on September 2nd, 1938. Paul went missing from Chikarakawa. <laughs> I know, I just butchered that. (laughs) National Monument Park in Wilcox, Arizona. He went missing on January 13th, 1980. He was 41 years old at the time of his disappearance, between 5'6 and 5'10. So I just really quick want to talk about the National Park where he went missing. So it it was the National Monument Park, and... It's kind of, because it's in Arizona, it is borderline desert territory in some places. The summers are really hot and dry. The winters can be below freezing with large snowstorms. So, you know, it's, it, they have beginner trails, but it is pretty, it can be dangerous there. And when he went missing, it was in January. So there weren't a lot of people there because like I said, it could get really snowy and things like that. There are high elevation areas and steep cliff sides. And of course, there are wild animal populations, snakes, small critters, everything like that. So, you know, the area itself could be pretty dangerous. There is a visitor center, which is like a small museum that had a lot of exhibits and showed local plant life and history of the area. So I think sometimes people could like come and just look around the visitor center and do really basic hikes from there. But then you could also leave the monument and, you know, do more intense hiking around the area. So he must have been a good, I'm already going to 
say he must have been a good hiker to be able to be the park ranger in this area. Exactly. And the reason I brought up the visitor center, we'll get more into it later, but he was actually so knowledgeable at the area that he, the content at the visitor center, like the maps and things like that, Paul helped put together. So he knew the area very well. That's impressive. Yeah. In the 1980s, the monument also acquired the Faraway Ranch. So it was a ranch and other buildings that are also part of a similar historic background. The Faraway Ranch was built in the late 1800s by Swedish immigrants who migrated to the United States. So that was in the connecting area, this ranch and like, you know, a couple buildings that were used for ranching things that had... Uh, I think some horses and things like that. So that was connected to the monument as well. Let's get into Paul Fugate's background. Growing up, Paul always loved biology and clearly, I mean, because he got into um, working at the monument, that was he, his favorite thing was biology. He really liked science. And he was kind of like a dreamer growing up. He loved to talk about life by the sunset. And he did get into hating authority figures a little bit, you know, not really liking the government. He protested the Vietnam War, things like that. Kind of a hippie sort of guy. A lot of articles related to him as a hippie sort of spirit. I feel like that's like normal teen angst back then. Exactly. But he did carry that into adulthood, so I'll just say that. (laughs) Paul was known to be an incredible naturalist and outdoorsman. He knew the trails in the Chikarakawa mountain area very well, and the plant life, the wildlife. Like I said before, he did put together trail guides and plant lists for the National Park, and they had those at the visitor center. Paul had a brown beard and a long brown ponytail that he always wore. So he kind of, he looked to me like your typical outdoorsman, what you would think of a park ranger, like with the beard, (laughs) walking stick, long ponytail. Seems cool. Yeah, he definitely seemed really cool. I also read in an article by OutsideOnline.com that I actually got a lot of my information from a really good article. I will link it below. That Paul, it's funny that you said he seemed cold. They said that Paul would often smoke a joint if the mood struck him. (laughs) (laughs) And they said that, like, he, even though he was 41 at the time that he disappeared at the monument, when it was in the summer and there was a lot of people working, you know, there would be younger people, I assume, college people working summer jobs and stuff. And people always said that he really vibed with the younger crowd and he would smoke joints with them and walk around at night and stuff with them. Like, he just was really cool and really laid back. But because kind of of that personality that he had, he had been fired from the monument before, but he sued and got his job back It was because of, you know, his, like, hippie-esque ways. He did get into conflicts with his supervisor, basically about a bunch of different things. Just the personalities totally clashed. So they would argue about Paul's appearance. His supervisor would say he looked unkempt because of his beard and his ponytail. 
And once he, so the reason why they actually fired him is because they said that Paul stole hay from the monument and gave it to his horse at home. And that was stealing government property. Okay. So, yeah. And the reason why we have to talk about, like, this background is because his clashing with the supervisors at the monument does come into play, sort of, in a bit. So at the time of his disappearance, Paul was married, but he was living alone in a cabin by the monument while his wife, Dodie, lived two hours away in Tucson, Arizona. So Paul and Dodie had been married for a little bit, but Paul did have a guest staying with him. Um, Her name is Bonnie. I don't know if that's her real name. I think that might be like a fake name that they gave her in the articles, but... Paul and Bonnie were having an affair and his wife Dodie was aware that he had affairs. So they did kind of have an open marriage. Dodie allowed Paul to have sexual affairs as long as there were no emotions involved. She understood that they lived some distance away and she actually told the reporter who wrote the outside online article that when she reached a certain age, sex became really painful due to a medical condition. Hmm. So she said that Paul, like, was kind of the only guy who was willing to be in a serious relationship with her because of that. Like, she didn't really have sex. So for her, she, it was fine for Paul to um, have sex with other women as long as he didn't fall in love with them and stuff. Mm-hmm. And. No judgment. We don't judge on this pod. Yeah, and they did live two hours away, so, you know, it seemed that they had that... That was their relationship, and it worked for them. So, at the time of his disappearance, Paul did have a woman staying in his cabin. Her name was Bonnie. And... Yeah, so that is that. On January 13th, 1980, Paul was working at the um, monument... As a park ranger, of course, like I said, doing his shift. In the morning, he dropped off Bonnie to do some hiking further up in the park. Because it was the winter, Paul was the only permanent staff member on duty, and then there was a seasonal clerk who just worked at the visitor center. At around 2 p.m., Paul left the office um, at the visitor center, and he told the clerk that he was going to do patrolling by some trails. Now, it's unsure... Some articles I read said that he just took a walk. And I'm like, okay, well, does just taking a walk mean he was on a break? Then other articles say that he was going to do patrolling. And some articles even specifically say that he wanted to look at trails around the Fairway Ranch. Because they had just recently acquired the Fairway Ranch and put trails in. So some articles say that he specifically told the clerk that that was where he was going. But since it happened Mm. in the 80s, you know, there is kind of like conflicting articles. You know how that goes when the story is kind of older. Yeah. Either way, he told the clerk that was working that he was going to do walk around, do some surveillance, typical park ranger stuff. He said if he wasn't back by 4.30 to just shut down the visitor center alone. Paul only took his keys, though. He left behind his radio, and he was last seen walking into the park by um, the other employee. 
The reason he didn't take maps or anything is that this area was under his patrol. It only had one dead-end road, and all of the connecting trails can be completed in a day. So there was, Mm. like, no way, basically, they said that he could get lost out there. Interesting. I know. Then how does he go missing? I know. Because it's like the National Park can be treacherous in other areas, but the visitor center is obviously an easy spot where people could just walk up to it and grab some maps and everything. So it's not like he was out going on the strenuous hike for the day. At 4.30, Paul had not returned to the visitor center. So the clerk just closed up as he was instructed and he left for the day. But by the late evening, Bonnie finished up her her walk and realized that Paul had not returned to the cabin after his shift was done. So Bonnie contacted the monument's superintendent who told some other park employees and they rounded up a search to find Paul. But the small search team found nothing. They didn't find any of Paul's belongings. They didn't find Paul. They didn't find his keys. And it was just really strange. The next morning, the Cochise County Sheriff's Office was contacted, and they arranged a search and rescue team to help locate Paul. Within a few days, there were 22 search and rescue members out looking. There was a search dog and a helicopter brought in. Then there was another search team of about 16 specialty trained rescuers who looked through the terrain areas and the ridges, like the really rough areas around, but no one found anything still. What the heck? It's like, how? I know, because especially even though there are animals and stuff out there, if an animal attacks you, you still find traces of it. You find marks in the dirt. You would find maybe a part of his shirt. Some blood. Blood. Trail marks. Like, they found nothing. So, searchers continued for the next few weeks. Volunteers. um, Paul's wife. She came. Family. Everything. They continued to look, but they did not find any, um, any signs. The only real lead that panned out, like, from the initial search was that a park employee told investigators that they saw spin-out tracks on a dirt road. And there were marks in the dirt that seemed to indicate a struggle, as if there was a struggle and someone was put into a car and it sped away. Ew, that's creepy. So that was the only thing that was found during the initial search. And sadly, because this was in the 80s and this was just a park employee who saw that, there weren't any pictures or anything like that documented. So it was just one person saying what they believed that they saw. But a couple days after Paul disappeared, another park employee came forward saying that, I don't know if this was a park employee or a visitor, because again, the articles sometimes say either one, but a couple days after someone came forward and say that they realized that on the day of the disappearance that they believed they saw Paul in the back of a pickup truck sitting between two other men. And the truck was speeding out of the monument, leaving so quickly that it seemed like the driver was in a rush. This lead seemed to make a lot of sense at first, and investigators wanted more information. So they put this person under hypnosis, and when they were under hypnosis, they claimed that it was Paul that they saw. 
He was between two men, one who was wearing a green jacket while the other wore a red, black, and white plaid printed shirt and had a beard. Both Hmm. men appeared to be in their 30s. I'm not sure if he said any ethnicity or height, weight, anything like that. That was basically what he said. And then he said that he thought Paul looked sad and dejected. Jeez, that's so sad. Yeah, so basically when people heard that lead, they kind of started to think that maybe Paul had been on his shift and he was looking around the trails and maybe he stumbled upon something that he shouldn't have. Maybe he saw a drug deal or like sex trafficking or illegal immigrants or something. That was what they said at first. Hmm. I feel like it wasn't anything really with drugs because he was like fine with smoking weed. I mean, if it was other hardcore drugs, then maybe, but it feels like he would be the type that would just kind of be like, uh, I didn't see anything. I don't know. I think they, I think they knew that, but I, the investigators kind of thought that maybe there were people who were doing a drug deal and he stumbled upon it and they were like, you know, Mm. took him at gunpoint because they didn't want any witnesses to what they were doing. Scary. Mm Mm-hmm. And there was a criminal investigator from the sheriff's office who really believed that maybe that whole drug deal gone wrong and Paul stumbling upon it could have corresponded with what the person said who went under hypnosis. Like maybe those two men were the one in the pickup truck who were doing some drug dealing and then they took Paul against his own will, like kidnapped him. Yeah, that part seems legit. So the criminal investigator who worked heavily on this case, his name was Craig Emanuel. He noticed that the area surrounding the monument was a peak area for undocumented farm workers and drug mules coming in from Mexico. So he really thought, you know, maybe this theory and everything could tie together. Paul's wife, Jody decided to bring in a psychic shortly after he disappeared to the area to see if she picked up on any energy. The psychic claimed that she had a vision. They took her to the Faraway Ranch house that was connected, and she said that she had a vision that two men were bending over a woman's unconscious body when Paul stumbled upon them, and the two men then drugged Paul to subdue him and dumped him across the Mexican border. Damn. I'm assuming she means that they killed him and then, like, scattered the remains across the border. I was like, what does that mean, dumped him across the border? I need more information. Yeah. Either way, it doesn't sound good. Yeah, so that was what the psychic said. And I mean, Obviously, everyone can have their opinions about psychics. Some people really believe that they can help. Other people think that in a criminal investigation, it could just be trying to get their name out there. Opinions are opinions. You know, we've seen some psychics be really right, and we've seen some be really wrong. So, but that was what she said. Hmm. Then there were other outlandish rumors that police received They got a rumor that Paul was killed while trying to hand-feed a jaguar. What the hell? Like, where were the the jaguars in the National Park in Arizona? What would he be feeding it with? He didn't take anything with him. I know. Then there was a rumor that he was killed by a poacher who was poaching in the area. 
And um, Craig Emanuel did follow up on that lead and it didn't hold up. So those weren't true. Where do people come up with this stuff? I know. But it was like besides those crazy rumors, there weren't really any leads. There weren't any really leads besides the potential drug deal and seeing him in the truck. There wasn't anyone coming forward saying that they saw him or anything like that. So that was all that detectives really had. As weeks turned into months, there were no signs of Paul. There were no signs of Paul. There were no concrete answers. His wife had heard nothing. And without any further information, the park services decided to fire Paul from the park service in early 1981, stating he abandoned his post and left on his own. Well, how is that going to help anything? I know. And there's no evidence that Paul left on his own. Yeah, how? On foot when they scoured the area right after? There's speculation, and we'll get into that more, but there's no proof. His wife, Dodie, and his friend, lover, Bonnie, also soon discovered, actually, that Bonnie was pregnant. They discovered that because Bonnie asked Dodie about Paul's vasectomy, and Dodie was like, he he never had a vasectomy. And then Bonnie raced to take a pregnancy test and discovered that she was pregnant. And Paul... Oh, man. And Paul had lied to her. Yikes. So that happened shortly after, obviously, when Bonnie and Dodie were trying to find Paul. They discovered that. And then, sadly, news got out to Monument officials. Now, Bonnie did end up getting an abortion, so she... Didn't end up having the child, but Monument officials got word of that situation and they used that to fuel the fire that Paul had just ran away. He had an affair. Maybe he knew that Bonnie was pregnant and that he was going to have a child and that he also had a wife. And so, you know, that whole thing. And they spiraled with that. I mean, how would he know? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, if she, she didn't, didn't even know, know, how would he know? I don't know. Maybe they assumed he knew that it, because he was lying to her that she would get pregnant. I have no idea. But that was mm. what the Park Service believed. And because of them firing Paul, his wife could not collect any of his benefits. And he was also denied his 401k. <sighs> oh. So Dodie basically... Up. She basically got nothing from Park Services after Paul's death. And not only that, they also required her to pay back any money that she did receive up until that point. That's messed up. The National Park Service chief detective even told reporters in the 1980s he believed Paul was alive and well, most likely living with a lover somewhere. And because of this, finding him was not a high priority of the National Park Service. Wow. Like, imagine being his wife and reading that in the news. And also maybe imagine being a fellow employee. Like, if that happened to you, if someone kidnapped you on the job, they're clearly not going to care. Mm-hmm. Now, the public did not take these comments well or agree, <laughs> yeah. or agree with the National Park Service. Many locals in those following the case saw the Park Service as being the government, like, really being the man, and Paul was this loving hippie guy who disappeared. Wait, I'm almost like, maybe they had something to do with it. Maybe that's the reason they're like that. 
I thought that too when I was doing research, but there's just like no evidence yeah, of like, that at I all. Know. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to start a conspiracy. <laughs> Literally. So people were really upset. They viewed the National Park Service as being money hungry and not even caring about the well-being of their employees. It's really sad, too, for Dodie because, like, she's trying to search for her husband traveling. She doesn't even live in the area. She lives two hours away in Tucson. So imagine trying to travel, make all of these arrangements to search for your husband, and you're not even getting any benefits, like, from anyone because they're denying him of his benefits, and it's really frustrating for her. Like, she's trying to search for him, and then they're also dragging his name in the public, in the media. They suck. They certainly do suck. In 1986, though, so this was like five years, too, after he disappeared. In 1986, a National Park Services investigator and an Arizona Department of Public Safety investigator together reopened the case to see what the evidence was, and after looking through, both investigators determined that there was no evidence to believe that Paul had run off with anyone and left on his own accord. They also didn't find any evidence in the case, which made them believe that Paul could still be alive. So because of that, the National Park Service finally backtracked on firing Paul, and they decided to give Dodie the full benefits and retirement assets that they had been withholding. So it was five years of her getting nothing. And then they finally were like, okay, well, yeah, I guess you're right. Finally, after five years of giving Dodie nothing, after the investigation, are like, well, okay, yeah, maybe there is no evidence to show that he disappeared. And maybe we were just really bitter because we didn't like him in the first place and made that decision, but... Seems about right. They don't say that, no. They just give her the money, which is good, at least. But still, why did it take five years? Yeah. Because they said from the start it was low priority, which is messed up. Yeah. The sad thing is, after that, and after the initial investigation, there really has been nothing concrete since. And he disappeared in 1980. So it's like... Uh... It's, like, sad, but I just don't see... I see the possibility of him being alive kind of low. Yeah. Or surviving that event kind of low. Because I just don't see how he would have gotten off on his own. And it clearly seems like he wasn't getting in that car voluntarily if it was skirting off. Right. In the last five years, the case has been reopened and new leads are being looked into. There was a new lead in 2017 that sounded really promising, but however, it was ruled out. Um, That lead at least put a new detective on the case. His name is Clay Anderson. So right now, Detective Clay Anderson from the National Park Service is working alongside investigator Craig Manuel from the Sheriff's Office on new leads and tips. Clay Anderson, he believes that Paul left the visitor center with the intention of patrolling the new trails down to the Fairway Ranch and that he was either kidnapped or killed. And let's chat for a second about the Fairway Ranch because in the Outside Online article, they say that over the years at the ranch, there have been quite a few deaths that have just been strange. 
And it's like one ranch that's attached to this monument in the middle of nowhere. Like, how's that happening? Yeah. There was a caretaker that had a brain hemorrhage and died on the couch in the 1970s. A friend of the original owner vanished from a nearby ranch in 1978 and was never seen or heard from again. What the heck? That sounds pretty similar. A park service employee was nearly killed after a brutal assault by a drug smuggler at the ranch in 2014. Even recently. And two adults went missing under conspiracy theory. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Two adults went missing under very mysterious circumstances. Um, So it's just all these things at this ranch. Like I said, that's kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's just like, what the Aliens? I don't know. Well, one is clearly... I don't think it's that. I think it's... Probably something illegal going on. One was clearly the drug smuggler. So Clay Anderson said that in the article, you know, that there's just bad juju in the area. There's just something up with the area. Okay, and you're telling me that the government isn't running more surveillance on this place? That seems a little suspicious, too. But, I mean, I don't know what they're doing. Maybe they are. Maybe they are now, but at the time in 1980 now. Investigators do believe the rumor that Paul stumbled upon something illegal or they think maybe even potentially he was involved in something illegal that went bad. Over the years, they have received multiple jailhouse tips and informants from jail. Some have seen more promising than others, but nothing can ever be confirmed. The whole case is just shady and sketchy on all ends. Everyone involved seems to have ulterior motives The rumors are just weird. Like, by the end of the article that I was reading, because it was multiple pages and updates from years of this author writing on it, and he said that even investigator Emmanuel from the sheriff's office stopped returning his calls by the end of it. Wow. So it's just like... The National Park investigator Clay Anderson then told him that he started to find discrepancies with Craig Emanuel's investigation from over the years when he looked back at it. So who even knows if all the leads are accurate? Like, who even knows if the drug smuggling is accurate or if it's just one rabbit hole that they went down because it's all they had? Like, that's so strange. There were points in the case where the author even wrote that they caught Dodie in some inconsistencies. His wife... Such as the time a shirt she gave him saying it was Paul's and he took it home and he looked it up and the brand wasn't even around when Paul, like before his disappearance. And he actually brought it up to her and she was like, oh, I just, I made a mistake and gave you mine. But he's just, he said it was just kind of weird. And he said that he did notice that she really clung to stories of foul play, even some that were, like, no way possible. But it's just sad because... She could just be grieving Mm -hmm. and stressed. On the other hand, the author and others now wonder, like, currently, if perhaps maybe Paul did vanish on his own accord. He was incredibly intelligent, an outdoorsman, street smart... Although difficult, if there was someone who could just pick up and disappear and leave, you know, it does seem like Paul could have. 
Some of his friends and coworkers even told reporters that they think Paul was a lost soul who wanted to just find kind of like his niche in the world and just maybe start over with a fresh slate. So there are some of his friends who have told the media over the years that maybe he did just disappear on his own will. Hmm. And, you know, the drug deal aspect of it seems really promising. There are people, there were jailhouse snitches who came forward and said, yeah, he was involved in this drug deal and it went bad and he got killed, but none of them have ever given any evidence. So it's just like, is it hearsay? And when you think about it, you have to think of like, why would a drug deal be going on in the desert area in the winter? Also true. Yeah. Maybe it was because no one would be there, but at the same time, maybe it's just like how I said, a rabbit hole that they went down. I don't know. Like, there is maybe Paul somehow was involved and he got wrapped up in it. Who knows? The article that I read, the outside online article, like I told you guys, it's really long. It was like 20 pages long, but it was really great. So definitely read it. The author finishes the article by stating that maybe, just maybe, Dodie is in on Paul's disappearance and the two of them planned it together. People point out that, you know, there are some inconsistencies in her story, such as she said that at one point she was planning to move up to the monument with Paul, which no one said that he ever mentioned that. Investigators also said that she started asking for his death benefits really fast after he disappeared. But who knows? Like, who's to say? But the article ends with Detective Anderson pondering an old report with the author that he had found. So he brought out this old report from, I think, the 80s or something. But it said that an old acquaintance of Paul's came forward and said that he was having a beer at a bar in Sierra Vista, which was just a little bit away from the monument. And a man walked in who looked very familiar to him, and it looked possibly like Paul Fugate. The man sat down across the bar and ordered a beer, and as he drank it, he made eye contact with the old acquaintance who was sitting across from him. The friend said that the Paul lookalike took a large drink, and when they made eye contact, he put the drink down, grabbed his bag, and hastily walked out of the bar. That's so weird. The friend was so certain that it was Paul. He took the cup to police to test for DNA and fingerprints, which they were able to lift. However, they found out that for some reason, even though Paul was a government employee and a missing person, they never had his fingerprints on file. So that is where the article ended. Oh, man, that's shit. That's good. I know. I was like, damn, that article was so well written. Like, I needed to be a movie. But it is crazy. It's just, like, so crazy because it's just nuts. How could a park ranger in a full uniform disappear from his post and just never, ever be seen or heard from again? Like, Even if he was in a truck and he was speeding out of the monument, there was no one that saw him drive by. There was no one that saw him, I guess. There was no one that saw them at a gas station. No one that interacted with any two men and a other guy in a truck in a park ranger uniform. Yeah. I have no idea. 
It's that so was crazy. crazy, yeah. Like what? And still to this day, like the case is open, but that is where things have ended. I do think that someone kidnapped him and I think killed him. It's just a matter of why, because I don't think that any of the leads really fully make sense. Like, I'm not fully sold on the drug dealing. But it's so weird knowing that other disappearances and, like, weird deaths have happened in the area. Like, that to me is super, like, makes me think that there was foul play involved. Yeah, it is crazy that in 2014 there was drug smuggling, but then you just think 1980 and 2014 are so far apart. Yeah. Is it just a coincidence? But it does seem like it just had something to do with the ranch. Like, maybe he was patrolling the trail, he went up to the ranch house, and something was going on. Like, to me, that seems like the most plausible what could have happened. Yeah, I could see that, too. But, yeah, still to this day... This case is open and being investigated, so if you guys have ever heard of this, let us know if there were any tips or anything you guys read, you know, any any Reddit spirals about mm-hmm. this case that I missed with potential leads, definitely let us know. Come chat about it, because I really have no idea what happened in this one. I really don't. I agree. I, I could... I don't know. But I think something bad happened. <laughs> I know. And then the drama with him lying to Bonnie and saying that he had a vasectomy and her being pregnant. Like, I know. That kind of is crazy that he disappeared right when she found out that she was pregnant, too. Also true. It's all crazy. I know. But could it just be a coincidence? Who knows? Who knows? Let us know what you guys think. Definitely come chat with us on Instagram. Um, yeah. Let us know if you have any theories. Yeah, and thank you guys for listening. We hope you guys are having a safe summer or whatever season it is, wherever you are. Stay safe, and we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Want to creep on us? Follow us on social media at ew, that's creepy podcast, or send us an email at ew, that's creepy podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate review, and subscribe. Thanks, creepy cats.